Hello, and welcome to the Era Without a Hero podcast. My name is David Wayne Nystrom, and I am the author and narrator of the story. If this is your first time listening to this show, I highly recommend going back to the beginning and starting there. Every other week, I put out a new episode, and it's a continuation of the previous week's episode. Before we get started today, though, I need to give a couple of announcements. First, a special thanks to Andy Spiteri and Taylor Wells for allowing me to come onto their show, The Champions Cast. The Champions Cast is a Zelda-themed podcast through Zelda Dungeon, um, and I got to go on there this week and talk about designing the ideal Legend of Zelda mashup with Fire Emblem game, and then we talked a bit about Fire Emblem itself, because um, it's a great game too, and you should definitely go play it. Um, but I got to go on there and talk with them about making an ideal Zelda Fire Emblem game. And that was a lot of fun. I highly recommend you check them out. You can find them on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever. Just search the Champions Cast and it should show up. Next, I need to give a special thanks to somebody who uh, left a comment on the YouTube version of the Arrow Without a Hero main theme. Uh, Carmen V, you left a really uh, great message for me over there on YouTube. Um... Yeah, and it, it, it really it really made me feel good. Um, for those of you who are curious what it said, um, I, can, I can read it to you. Uh, she said, or he, could be a he, um, said this, I can't, he did it. He made me cry, and I am still on chapter two. Teach me your ways. David, I hope you know that this podcast is both a thrill to listen to as well as an inspiration to aspiring writers like me. Your work is great. Keep it up. As somebody who that's all I want to do with my writing that is that means the world to me so thank you so much for that comment it really means a lot um if you have any comments other listeners if you have any comments please send them to me I you can find me on twitter I'm at davewayne09 um let me know how you're enjoying the show I've been getting a bit of feedback on there from it and it's really inspiring and keeps me going especially when I've had very little time to record in the past couple of weeks um so special thank you to to you, Carmen. Um, next uh, reminder that in the future we're gonna have close to the end of this season. I'm gonna get to a point where I will drop some more information about this. But upcoming we're gonna have some paralogs, is what I'm calling them, partially inspired by Fire Emblem. Yes, I know. Whatever. They're sub chapters. They're chapters that don't play necessarily into the main story but are things that I either cut from writing or are good information to have about the world. More than likely, the first one is going to be a short history of the Gorons, which was the first story that I ever wrote in relation to the Arrow Without a Hero. And it was an explanation of how the Gorons got from where they were at the end of Ocarina to where they are at the start of this story. Um, and basically, they're... Their world building, their just extra fun information to have, it's stuff that I think listeners would enjoy hearing. And it will be available on the website, which I will get to in a second. But So be on the lookout for those. Like I said, I will have some more information on that close to the end of this season, which at the rate we're going will probably be around New Year's, maybe a little bit afterwards. We'll see. Mentioning the website, um, arrowwithoutahero.wordpress.com. I have been terrible at updating it. I've been wanting to 
put out some additional content on there related to the story. Um, I have, no joke, three drafts sitting in the sitting in my little draft folder that need more done on them. Um, one is about some artwork, one is about music, um, and the other one is uh, a paralogue that I'm starting to write and was thinking about putting out early, but probably won't right now. We'll see. Um, I promise I'm going to get stuff on there. For those of you who have been checking the website, you've noticed that when I put out an episode, I put out the essentially the script, the, the narrative version of it out on the website as well. That I have been good at keeping up with. It's just additional content I'm lacking behind on, I know. So I'm going to try to get to that. Um, next, if you couldn't tell, this intro is a little different. Uh, I'm experimenting with a new audio recording software um, that I have, that I got, that I had to get, and and it is... This is an experiment, so if it works well, future parts of the entire story could have music set to them as I'm reading them. There's a feature on Anchor that allows me to put music to it, but it's not my music. And I want to create an original soundtrack. Which brings me to the next thing. I am looking to create an original soundtrack for this show. Those of you who've been listening for a while know I created my own main theme for this. I have remixed a couple of Zelda songs and, and made another original theme. I'm working on an original theme for our main villain, Adok, but I'm struggling with it. <laughs> um, if I can get that worked out, I will be putting out an official soundtrack for the Arrow Without a Hero. Um, I don't know when, because I'm struggling to get that song composed. I want it to be everything that Adok is. Um, you can read into that however you want. <laughs> There's a lot more to him than we've seen. I will say that. Um, but, so, keep an eye out for that. It's something that I'm working on, and I really just wanted to share it with you because I'm excited. On that note, there is no original, there is no new original song in this episode. There will be next week. I had one, I thought about putting it in here, but the way this chapter ends does not line up with the feel of the song. Next week's won't necessarily either, we'll see, but given where our characters are going, you'll... It, it, I want to debut it next week, I think. It'll be more fun. Um, there's a big hint to where they're going at the end of this, and I know a few people who are going to get it instantly know where this is headed. Um, it's not a big surprise, but I'm not going to reveal it now. You'll have to just wait until you hear the song at the end of this chapter. Now, moving on. Previously, on the Era Without a Hero podcast. Osmond awoke following the attack on Castletown. He recalled the horrible night. He recalled a lot of stuff. And he met with the king. And the king presented him with a knight's crest, basically saying, you're a knight. Congratulations. Thank you for saving my daughter. This is your reward. And Osmond was overwhelmed. He then met with the sages. Uh, as he met with the sages, they basically told, gave him a series of questions, judged his answers, and said, cool, you're good, kid. And have now, and are preparing to send him on his way to Kokiri Forest. However, just before the meeting is over, the queen stands up and announces that the princess Zelda will be accompanying him. The reason for this? 
They feel it's time for her to get out and see the world. But they also feel it's more safe for her out there. Separating the family, breaking it up, whatnot. So, we can now get on with Chapter 6 of The Arrow Without a Hero. Departures. I'm getting to leave the castle. Zelda could hardly contain her excitement. You're going on a pilgrimage to visit one of the guardian deities. Impa sighed. This isn't a vacation. Of course not. It's dangerous for her because of what happened. But it'll be a chance to learn so much of what the world is like. And with you by my side, I, I, I'm not going. Zelda wrinkled her face in confusion. What do you mean? I am to oversee military exercises and ensure their battle readiness. There was a notable silence as Zelda took in Impa's words and tried to wrap her head around the situation. Impa had been alongside Zelda for as long as she could remember. Everything about combat, manners, and life in general had been taught to her by Impa. I see. Zelda sat down on the edge of her bed and let her shoulders slump. Impa looked back towards the door, closed it a little, and approached, taking a seat next to the princess. The strong Sheikah leader gently took Zelda's hand and let a rare smile creep across her face. You're already strong, princess. I have confidence in all that I've taught you, and I know that you'll do well when you're out there. 
Please, thou, mind Lord Fardo's words and the advice of the young knight. Though I am not pleased with the decision myself, your mother and father seem to believe in them. The young knight? Is he the one from the tournament? Indeed he is. <laughs> of course he is. Zelda huffed. Why not a knight with some experience under his belt? Why not Sir Ralphine? Or Master Liam, even? Sir Ralphine sailed home two weeks ago to request aid for Hyrule, and Master Liam hasn't been in contact since that night. As far as the more experienced knights, they're all either out scouting for Adark or assigned to Mike Anderson. Zelda went quiet, slouching her shoulders even more as she leaned against Impa. It will be fine. Huh. Are you trying to convince yourself of that? Well, me. Impa let out a laugh. <laughs> Both. They remained silent for a while longer, until some servants entered with bags for packing a few of the princess's things. Impa gave them directions, while Zelda remained on the edge of the bed and stared off into nothing. When they were done, Impa bid Zelda goodnight and followed the attendants out. It will be fine. Impa's words echoed in Zelda's head as she walked out on the balcony and looked down at the city. The cool night air gave her a slight chill, but one she enjoyed. As she leaned on the railing and looked at the courtyard down below, she caught a glimpse of a figure moving across the grounds. Zelda recognized the hood as one given to the knights, but this young man wasn't armed. He didn't have anything with him, as far as she could tell, and as he passed through the gate, he seemed to stumble with issuing the proper salute. It will be fine. The sun had just set a few hours ago, and though he knew he should, Osmond couldn't rest. He had spent several hours visiting shops with Fado and a few of the knights, getting him outfitted with the best gear he'd ever imagined. When it came to arming and defending the knights of Hyrule, discounts were always available. A sturdy new shield, emblazoned with an eagle at the bottom and a triforce on the top. His tunic, that he'd been given, looked similar to the one Aldwin had handed him. It was a dark green with a collar and a simple string to cinch it shut in poor weather. Along with that, a hooded cloak that shone the Triforce on its center and could further protect him from various weather conditions. For a sword, though, he was issued a lunar short sword in addition to his own personal blade. The royal blacksmith, though, told him that he would have the personal sword waiting for him when he returned for the forest. However, it would mean giving up the blade Aldwin had given him. Osmond didn't like parting with the gift his mentor had given him, but he trusted the smith, and he trusted the knights. Osmond awkwardly saluted the guards as he departed the castle in the cool evening air. He didn't know what was coming for him in the morning and beyond, so he wanted to take what could be his last night and visit places familiar to him. Even though the hour was late, there were still many people milling about the city streets. Some parts of the city seemed to have returned to the normal, with children playing outside and friendly gatherings in the streets. As he walked the streets of Castletown with his new knight's clothing, he felt stronger 
and knew something had changed. He had changed. He felt the envious eyes of young children longing to be him, and women longing for him. Others simply nodded their head at him in gratitude, as if he'd done some great deed already. He didn't feel like he had, though. He had only done what he had been taught to do by his teacher. The feeling began to change into guilt. Guilt that it was he, and not Alduin, wearing the crest of the Knights of Hyrule. Guilt that his uncle would now be left without an apprentice. Guilt that overwhelmed him and turned his feet unknowingly towards the Colosseum. When he arrived at the crater, he was surprised to see that the statue of the Hero of Time was still standing. The area beyond it was now a dusty and hollow pit, bearing the violent evidence of the earth splitting. However, what was more surprising was his uncle kneeling before the statue. Uncle Henry? Figured you'd make your way over here. If yes, you had the chance to get away. Henry remained at the base of the statue. Lots of folks saying that because the statue survived the attack, it's a sign he's coming back. Osmond knelt down beside his uncle. Do you believe that? Maybe. He shrugged. Never been one to put much faith in swords and whatnot. I doubt it. I don't know. Osmond bowed his head and quietly prayed to the goddesses. He could hear his uncle doing the same. It was beyond something he ever thought would come to pass. The devastation that lay beyond, the statue, what he had gone through. The most surreal part, though, was that his uncle seemed unchanged by the whole occasion. Your father once asked me why I never became a knight. Henry broke the silence. It was rare that he talked about Osmond's parents, even when Osmond was younger and relentlessly asked him. He'd say, Henry, you're a strong man and would do anything to protect your family. Why not take up the blade and defend everyone? Of course, I'd always have the same answer. Soldiers gotta have a place to sit when they come back. If I go and get myself killed, there ain't gonna be no chairs. Osman cracked a smile. There were simpler times. Henry smirked, lifting his heavy eyes to his nephew. Osmond, if your father could have heard what you've done, he'd have been so proud. Osmond looked away. Your mum too. She'd have been sore with you, but proud. I'm proud too. Oh, I knew you'd been training and whatnot with Aldwin. I even saw your match. You're a damn fine swordsman, Osmond. Osmond felt a lump well in his throat as Henry put an arm around him. I can't say I don't want you to stay, but I know this is your dream, and now your duty. There will always be a chair for you, lad. I swear it. Osmond threw his arms around Henry and felt a burden erased. Nothing but acceptance and peace overwhelmed him. 
After a few minutes, they rose together and headed to a nearby tavern. They shared a few ales and talked about old stories. Some they knew, some had been hidden, and some forgotten. They laughed and smiled and cried late into the night. When the barkeep came to tell them it was time to leave, the two of them finished their pints, then walked to the carpentry shop, where they went inside. Osmond retrieved a few personal items from his room and came back down. Henry stood with a large item covered in a dusty old sheet. What's that? Your father. He had this on him the night he and your mother passed away. He would have wanted you to have it. Osmond pulled away the sheet and held his breath. It was a sturdy shield with a flat top that curved to a point at its bottom. Dark amber wood made up the central part of it with a red painted iron around the outside and crossing in an X across the middle. There were three long scratches that stretched the face of the shield and they looked like they'd been repaired somewhat since its final use. I spent many nights trying to get those claw marks out. Henry's voice was strained as he looked down at the shield. Eventually, I made it usable again, but never was able to get the color right. Osmond placed his hand in the middle of the shield and smiled up at his uncle. As he lifted the gift, he embraced his uncle, and they let the moment rest. Thank you. Be safe, lad. Osman left his uncle's house about an hour before dawn. A light fog lingered over the city as Osman navigated his way towards the Temple of Time. Instead of going in, though, he made his way past one of the reflecting pools and into a secluded area. Through an arbor of white flowers, he emerged in a large garden that held a solemn purpose. With crickets still singing their nighttime songs, Osmond walked quietly past the headstones of knights and warriors from Hyrule's history. His feet came to a stop when he found the still fresh plot that belonged to his mentor and friend. Osmond opened his mouth to speak, but found himself unable to make a sound. Instead, he knelt down and ran his fingers across the engraving on the stone. This warrior's journey was wrought with hardships, but by his blade and through his sacrifice, Hyrule lives on. Rest in peace, Sir Aldwin, Knight of Hyrule. Osman was about to sit back on his heels and pray when he heard footsteps approaching from behind. He looked over his shoulder and saw a tall man with a thinning gray hair and a few days' unshaved face. Relax, kid, the man said with a raspy and scratchy voice. Just come to pay my respects to. Osman noticed the knight's crest that was somewhat obscured by his flowing gray coat as the man came to a stop before the grave. He reached into his cloak and pulled out a silver flask, then took a sip from it. 
So, you're the one. The one? The kid, Aldi trained. The one who saved the princess. Osmond looked up at the man. I am. Who are you? The man took another hard sip from the flask, then held it out over Alduin's headstone. He turned it and poured a shot of it down onto the stone, then closed it and put it back in his pocket. Sorry it took so long, he said, ignoring Osmond's question. Who are you? Osmond asked again. Don't matter. The man turned and began to walk away. When he was a few paces away, though, he stopped and turned back to Osmond. A word of advice. Work on countering attacks from your left. He always struggled with that. With that, the man turned and continued out of the graveyard. Osmond watched the man and gave a moment's thought to going after him. He stopped, though, when he looked up to a nearby clock tower and saw that dawn was going to be breaking soon. He gave Alduin one last prayer, then rose and made for the royal stables behind the Temple of Time. The smell of hay and horses was overpowering as Osmond burst inside. Rays of light were just starting to break in through the small holes in the ceiling, and there were several pages in attendance rushing about with supplies and equipment. Good morning, Sir Osmond! Flato's head popped out from a stall, and he scurried over to greet Osmond. Good morning, Lord Flato. I'm not late, am I? No, no, dear boy, not at all. This is just what it's always like around here, it would seem. Osmond nodded. A set of doors at the far end of the stables swung open, and Impa pushed through, with the queen and princess following closely behind. Osmond dropped to a knee, and was surprised when Impa scolded him. Get up, she said harshly. While you are in the presence of royalty, keep in mind that the princess's leaving the safety of the city is to remain under wraps. You will not be addressing her by any of her formal titles. Understood? Yes, ma'am. Osmond replied, getting back to his feet. Princess Zelda walked by without so much as a blink in Fado or Osmond's direction. However, the queen came to a polite stop. Her face looked tired and her eyes lingered on her daughter as she silently mounted her white horse. Is everything all right, your grace? Hmm? Yes, yes, she said, smiling at Osmond. Osmond didn't quite believe her, but didn't press further. As she looked down at Fado, her soft and pleasant demeanor returned. Are you excited to be heading home, Lord Fado? Oh, yeah. My cousin's going to be so happy. She used to wish that she'd be Lady Tharia's successor, but I don't think she'd have enjoyed leaving the forest for such long periods of time. How long has it been? Uh, nearly two years, I'm afraid. Epa returned from assisting somebody with something and looked sternly at Osmond. You know how to ride, yes? It's been a while, but I'll manage. And if he struggles, 
I'll take the reins and solve it. Fado laughed. Impa rolled her eyes, then turned to motion for the servants to bring a horse over. It was a tall and deep brown steed, with a black mane and flecks of white around its eyes. The saddle was loaded with equipment, including the shield Osmond had been given yesterday. He shifted the pack on his back, remembering the shield his uncle had given him, and smiled as he felt it. Osmond was in the process of mounting his horse, when Fado popped up on the saddle first. He grinned and scooted back. Don't worry, lad. The princess does have her own horse. Three people on a horse would look downright silly. Once situated on the horse's back, one of the servants took hold of its reins and led them over towards the large door. Zelda's horse trotted up alongside them, and she pulled the dark cloak up over her head that concealed her face. Her horse seemed unsteady, until she leaned down and whispered in its ear. Osmond watched as Zelda stroked its white mane with her free hand, and the horse seemed to completely change its attitude. Zelda! The queen stepped up on the far side of the princess and placed her hand on her daughter's. Please, be careful. Don't worry, mother, the princess said coldly. You sent me with babysitters. The queen's eyes opened wide as Zelda kicked back and her horse began towards the doors. Quickly, the servants opened them, and as the queen tread rushing after her daughter, the horse rode ahead. The queen stopped and lowered her head. I promise, she'll be okay, Osmond said as he began after her. The queen nodded and waved farewell as the horses disappeared into the city. As the trio rode out into Hyrule Field, they galloped past the road that could have led them to Long Lawn Ranch and then Kakariko City. The sun burned away the slight chill that had been clinging to the air and coaxed the morning dew from the blades of grass. Sounds of birds chirping joined the trotting sounds made by their horses' hooves and the ceaselessly ending string of tails flowing from Fado's mouth. Don't you find that interesting? What? Osmond shook his head, trying to remember what Fado had just said. Oh, nothing. Fado sighed and slumped down. I'm sorry, Lord Fado. There is just... First of all, no more Lord Fado. I don't need some fancy title to feel important. Additionally, we're out of the capital, and therefore more vulnerable. Using titles like Lord and Lady would only draw attention. Excuse me? But how am I to be addressed then? Zelda interjected. By Zelda, of course. It is your name, but then it's also quite common. But I'm the princess. Shouldn't you use the title? No titles. None. Especially with you. Fayor's wind couldn't whisk you away fast enough if bandits or somebody disloyal to your father caught wind of you. Disloyal to my father? Fado sighed, and Osmond could feel the tiny sage rubbing his fingers on his temples. My dear Zelda, I am nearly two hundred years old. Your father is one of the greatest kings of Hyrule. Greatest that Hyrule has ever known. That doesn't mean he's without enemy. Please, trust me when I advise something like this. 
Zelda gave a slightly sour nod. Right, that brings me to point number two. Not everybody in the forest is as old as I am, so please pay attention to the history I'm telling you. It could save your life someday. History is saving my life, Osmond smiled. Sounds like something Alwyn would have said. A wise man. He was. Did Alwyn ever tell you about the Kokiri? Or rather, did you listen when he did? Osmond remained silent. The Kokiri are immortal, aren't they? Zelda asked. If only that were true, Fado said. As long as the Kokiri remains in the forest, he or she will never grow old. We age, but not like Hylians. We're sustained by the forest's magic, and in turn we tend to the forest to keep it healthy. We're completely connected to each other. However, when a member of the Kokiri Forge leaves that protection, the connection is severed and part of them dies right there. We keep our childlike features, as you can see, but we begin to feel the ages catch up with us, much like you all. We can, however, be sustained by returning to the forest, but it's never the same. Many wander off into the Lost Woods and become skull kids. To my knowledge, only four Kukiri, myself included, have ever left the forest, really. My cousin Mido, and of course Saria being two of the others. Fado's voice trailed off, his smile disappearing. So... At the same time you accepted being a sage, you accepted a death sentence? Zelda asked. If it was something that could be accepted, yes. Sages aren't pulled from a river at random. We're awakened. The current generation of sages all awoke following the true departure of the sage from the era of the hero of time. As to the death sentence side of it, though, I choose not to look at it that way. Otto's characteristic grin reappeared as his eyes rolled towards the sky. I prefer to embrace my shortened mortality by making each day more enjoyable than the last. A sort of embrace-the-day thought process. And how are you enjoying today? Osmond smiled over his shoulder. Savoring the journey home after many years away, dear boy. Osmond could feel the Sage of Wind slide down a little and prop his feet up on the back of the horse. Fado pulled a flask from one of the saddlebags and took a swig, then made a sour face that caused a small giggle to slip past the princess's facade of seriousness. Well, excuse me, princess, but this has gone foul, Fado grinned. I thought we weren't using titles, Zola accused. Apologies, it just... Felt right. The trio continued across the expansive Hyrule field, rolling hills as far as the eye could see, broken up by grey stone that peeked out from underneath the blanket of green. In the distance, the Farai Mountains rose up in the south, touching the vibrant blue sky of midday. The occasional tree and wildflower patch became silhouetted against the sun as it continued to crawl overhead. As they strayed away from the main road, the trees became more common, providing them with shade. As they took a break in one of the shaded patches, 
They ate a small meal of cheese and bread before continuing on. The entrance to the Kukiri forest was just inside the boundary of the foreign region of Hyrule. Known for its dense forests and rolling green mountain range, it was a place unlike Castletown in every way imaginable. Near the edge of the forest was a bridge that joined the main road into the region from the north to the path that led into the Kokiri village. The Bridge of Goodbyes, as it was called, crossed over a deep ravine and a bit of the Kokiri stream that flowed northeast into Zora's river. The name for the bridge had come from the era of the Hero of Time, as it had become known for being a place of fated farewells. As they passed through the hollowed-out tree trunk and their horses stepped onto the bridge, Fado hopped down and walked ahead a few steps. Everything okay? Osmond asked, slowing his horse. Yes, just looking back on some old memories is all. Osmond could see Fado resting his hand on the rope railing with a longing look in his eyes. When I was still young, before the Hero of Time rose and liberated us, my brother left the forest to search for help. The forest had been invaded by mad scrubs and deku bubbles, and it was all we could do to keep them at bay. He returned a few months later, with some help from some skull kids and the legendary princess herself, but his wounds were fatal. That was when Saria left for the forest temple as well. I... I like to believe that he was one of the voices from deep within the walls calling out to her, just as she did for me many years later. Osmond and Zelda had stopped to listen to the story. Fado, who had been nothing but jovial and almost childish, had flipped a switch inside him almost when they reached the bridge. It was comforting to know that he was indeed more mature than he let on. Right, who's hungry? Fado clapped his hands together and started across the rest of the bridge. Mido should be preparing supper about now. They entered the tunnel on the opposite side and took a slight turn up a hill. As they reached the crest of the hill, though, their noses were filled with a foul stench. The air turned thick and heavy. Sounds of birds and the breeze dancing in the trees vanished into a void of noiseless suffocation. As they emerged from the tunnel, all three looked around and shuddered at what they saw. Or couldn't see as it was. Instead of the beautiful natural growth and pristine flowing waters, black sludge and rotted trees covered the town. Slime and algae floated on dark pools that had collected. Tree stumps were uprooted or covered in a black fuzz. A nearby home was burned out with only the door and window frame left standing. Dark haze blotted out the light that should have been shining down on them. <laughs>